The next of my posts was called A Sinful Man. Svidrigailov calls himself a sinful man. Perhaps it would have been better for him to say he is a man who rejects the notion of sin. Raskolnikov had longed to be the sort of man who would dare to transgress, who would kill without a qualm, for whom all is permitted, a man beyond sin. He envisioned this man as a great conqueror, making his mark on history and lauded by the crowd. But in these chapters he looks such a man in the face, and the image is a sordid and vile one. Svidrigailov is a self-confessed and remorseless, dissolute profligate, with swinishness in his soul. He frequents brothels, declares himself incapable of fidelity, strikes a bargain with his wife for open access to the servant girls, manipulates doting mothers into surrendering their helpless daughters, and allegedly rapes a young girl who is afterward driven to suicide. He is a ruthless exploiter, who will use deception, manipulation, or force to attain his ends. He treats Marfa Petrovna in a gentlemanly manner, only so she will pay his debts and concede to his demands. He uses flattery to seduce a devoted wife and mother, cleverly persuading her that she is a woman of great virtue, trying heroically to refuse his advances, and unable to hold off his lechery. And then, afterward, cruelly mocks her gullibility, saying outright that she was as eager for it as he was. He takes advantage of Dunya's good nature, seeing in her desire to turn him to the good an opportunity to guilefully win her affections. He says, quote, If once a girl's heart is moved to pity, it's more dangerous than anything. She is bound to want to save him, to bring him to his senses, and lift him up, and draw him to nobler aims, and restore him to new life and usefulness. Well... We all know how far such dreams can go. I saw at once that the bird was flying into the cage of herself, and I too made ready. Unquote. And then he remarks, I think you are frowning, Rodion Romanovich. He does not admit of anything wrong in what he has done, and he doesn't believe Raskolnikov has the right to either. He is by all indications a vicious criminal who is implicated in the deaths of his wife his servant Philip, and the young girl who took her own life. He is an impenitent pedophile. The scene in which he describes with glee the way the innocent sixteen-year-old with the face of Raphael's Madonna and wearing a child's frock was delivered into his lecherous hands, and worse, describes it in a tone of sick enjoyment as something worth paying to see, truly made me want to vomit." It was for having to read that scene in particular that I begged your sympathy. He is scornful of virtue and mocking of romantic notions. He says to Raskolnikov, quote, I understand the questions you are worrying over. Moral ones, aren't they? Duties of citizen and man. Lay them all aside. They are nothing to you now. You'll say you are still a man and a citizen. If so, you ought not to have got into this coil. It's no use taking up a job you are not fit for." Unquote. Raskolnikov longed to be the man who could lay aside moral questions, but he wasn't fit for the job. Svidrigailov is. 
Svidrigailov occasionally indulges in acts of generosity, like providing for Sonia and Katerina Ivanovna's children. But these come across as utterly arbitrary, as whims without explanation or meaning, with no spiritual significance and bringing no satisfaction to his soul. So, what is the experience of life for such a man? As we learned in the previous chapter, it is a life of deep, unremitting, metaphysical boredom, where licentiousness provides just enough fleeting pleasure to keep him from killing himself. It is a life spent drinking half-glasses of champagne in sordid taverns with girls who are paid to kiss your hand in gratitude. It is a life of haunted dreams, where, whatever your conscious convictions about the absurdity of a concern for virtue, you are visited by the ghosts of your murdered wife and your abused servant. The pull of conscience is there, even for the man who most fervently denies it. And however committed a profligate you might be, you discover one day that even you can love, and that you suffer a desperate need for that love to be returned. And then you must face the reality that the one you love looks upon you with terror and despises you. And then what? We shall see. The last of my posts was called A Strange Appeal. Now that I have said my piece on Svidrigailov's evil, I want to come at him from a different perspective, inspired by critics Joseph Frank and Jonathan Middleton Murray. I've read that for many readers, Svidrigailov is strangely appealing, and even the most memorable of the novel's whole cast of characters. In the writings of Murray and Frank, I discovered insights into why. Murray says that having had his eyes opened to pain and suffering, the kind so poignantly wrought in the story of the Marmeladovs, Dostoevsky, quote, tormented his mind with a problem for which he was bound all his life long to demand an answer. Is there a God? Champion after champion he sent forth onto the bloody field to contend with life as he himself contended even unto death. Of these champions, Svidrigailov was the first. He is, as it were, the symbol of Dostoevsky's passionate denial of God. Unquote. Murray says it is through the character of Svidrigailov that Dostoevsky, quote, conceived a vehicle for his doubts and agonies, a means of creating metaphysical despairs in flesh and blood. Unquote. While Raskolnikov's soul is divided, Svidrigailov's is pure. He is someone who, says Frank, quote, has accepted the thoroughgoing egoistic amorality that, as Raskolnikov has begun to realize, he had unwittingly been striving to incarnate himself, unquote. It is in the character of Svidrigailov that Dostoevsky manifests his most troubling doubts. On the strange appeal of Svidrigailov, Frank points out that, quote, Svidrigailov's world weariness signifies a certain spiritual depth, unquote. He suggests that Svidrigailov's character can best be understood in Byronic terms, liking him to Byron's Lara, quote, who at last confounded good and ill, and whose supreme indifference to their distinction made him equally capable of both, 
unquote. This description of Lara, he says, would be aptly applied to Svidrigailov. Quote, Too high for common selfishness, he could, at time, resign his own for others' good, but not in pity, not because he ought, but in some strange perversity of thought that swayed him onward with a secret pride to do what few or more would do beside, and thus some impulse would, in tempting time, mislead his spirit equally to crime. Unquote. That made me tempted to drop everything and go study that poem. This is a fascinating point to consider, the matter of Svidrigailov's spiritual depth. If you compare him to a character like Luzhin or Lebeziatnikov, he seems to tower with epic proportions over their petty souls. He mocks Raskolnikov as a Schiller, but it is he who continually speaks in a language that is Schiller-esque. He says of Dunya, quote, Do you know, I always, from the very beginning, regretted that it wasn't your sister's fate to be born in the second or third century A.D. as the daughter of a reigning prince or some governor or proconsul in Asia Minor. She would undoubtedly have been one of those who would endure martyrdom and would have smiled when they branded her bosom with hot pincers, and she would have gone to it of herself. And in the fourth or fifth century she would have walked away into the Egyptian desert and would have stayed there thirty years, living on roots and ecstasies and visions. She is simply thirsting to face some torture for someone, and if she can't get her torture, she'll throw herself out of a window." Unquote. And he observes of his betrothed, quote, "'Sometimes she steals a look at me that positively scorches me. Her face is like Raphael's Madonna. You know, the Sistine Madonna's face has something fantastic in it, the face of mournful religious ecstasy. Haven't you noticed it? Well, she's something in that line." Unquote. There is a repulsive scorn in both of these descriptions, but even in the fact that he is able to see and describe them is a mark of spiritual depth. And though he is so self-righteous in his evil, we also see in him glimpses of a metaphysical despair. He is continually, inescapably bored. His life is entirely bereft of meaning. We only see him come alive with Dunya, and it seemed to me that he felt a satisfaction even in looking down the barrel of her gun, because in that moment he was living. His existence otherwise has been the one he projects in his image of the afterlife. Quote, something like a bathhouse in the country, black with soot, with spiders in every corner. Unquote. So much more could be said about this. But I do see the strange appeal in Svidrigailov's stature, as the purest expression of Dostoevsky's doubts, as a character capable of a grandeur of outlook and expression that indicate a depth of soul and as a man suffering the metaphysical despair that come as a consequence of evil.